That's the question. How do we get somebody to persuade themselves? That's the $10 million question, right? Can we just show up and say, hey, Michelle, you know, here's the wiring details. Just persuade yourself and, you know, send the money. No. Welcome to Monday Mornings with Michelle, the new business podcast. Whether you're kicking off your day or kickstarting your business, Michelle is going to kick your ass into next week with the essential fours. Strategy, systems, support, and state of mind. Now, welcome to center stage, Michelle Nedelec. Hey there, peeps. This is Michelle Nedelec, and I'm so glad that you're with us here today because I am here with my most amazing guest, Jeremy. Jeremy, thank you so much for being here today with us. Hey, thanks for having me on. Uh, I'm assuming you tell everybody that they're the most amazing guest. So I'm going to take that as a compliment. Very nice of you. Very kind. <laughs> I don't say that about everybody, but up until this point, you are my most amazing well, it's, guest. It's like a, you, watch, you know, my wife makes me watch The Bachelor with her every year. And they're like, they always come on like the most dramatic, the most crazy season ever in the history of Bachelor. And you're like, that's what you said the last 20 years. Like, that, what's going on? It just gets better and better. Know, right? It's like a well-aged wine. It's perfect. Right. Well, it's a pleasure to be on your show. Awesome. Um, I love your sense of humor. In like the five seconds I knew you, it was like, bam, we are going to get along. This is going to be awesome. So give everybody else the 5,000 foot view of who you are and what you love to do. Well, we're, uh, you know, uh, I'll kind of give you, I'm not going to tell everybody my hobbies because you'd probably get bored to death. But, um, you know, we, we have a sales training company here, uh, Seventh Level, and we're an organization that helps, you know, sales professionals, salespeople, coaches, sales executives, business owners. And I would say we help them by transforming the way they and their team sell uh, by learning specific skilled questions, techniques that work with human behavior rather than work against it. That's a big key. We'll talk about that today if you want to. A bunch of geeky stuff, but important. Uh, we call those neuro-emotional persuasion questions. Uh, and we teach the right tonality that puts the prospects at ease, eliminates sales pressure, and actually gets the prospect to want to engage, to want to open up to you, and eventually persuade themselves. So a bunch of, bunch of boring stuff like that is what we do. Which, of course, when it comes down to making money, is super exciting and we all love it. Possibly. So how, let's kind of back up the bias. And how did you get into all of this in the first place? Well, how did I get into sales? Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. So, well, I'll tell you a little bit of my background story because it might yeah. be, it might be uh, relate to what's necessary for any of your listeners if they want to go to a, the next level. So, I got into sales 20 years ago as a broke, burned out college kid. Okay, like 19, 20 years ago. I remember going to the recruiting meeting and they hired everybody because it was straight commission, door to door, and they just would hire everybody. I later found out that like eight out of 10 people would quit within the first couple of weeks. And I got my first job selling home security systems, okay, going door to door. And the company basically gave us a script, drove us out in a van, you know, dropped us off in a neighborhood, a not so safe neighborhood, and basically said, hey, go make some sales. We'll pick you up after dark. And that's really what it was. And I remember, I, it's kind of crazy, but I remember like knocking on doors thinking it was going to be easy because that's what they told me. You know, they said like, oh, it's going to be easy. You're going to make all this money. And I started talking to my prospects about all the features and the benefits of how it was going to help them. And it was so great. But I started noticing that I pretty much got objections at every single door. You know, like we can't afford it. Uh, we don't need it. Uh, your price is too high. We already have that. Let me talk to my spouse. Let me think it over. Can you call me back in a week, a month, a year later? Right. And so I remember I, I got to a point probably about 
seven, eight weeks in of all that nonstop rejection. So if anybody's ever been in door to door, especially when you're not taught the right skills, it pretty much sucks. But I remember uh, one night sitting on the side of a curb, like just sitting on the curb, sales manager is going to pick us up. I was all alone. I'd work like 12 hours a day, just sweat rolling down my chest and back, my legs just, you know, cramping. I still remember like the hot concrete, like underneath my feet, you know, and I'd made zero sales that day. So I made zero dollars. Like you don't get paid if you don't make sales. I remember that week I actually made zero sales. So I'd work like 60 hours the whole week. This is a Friday night. I made zero dollars. I was just barely married. I had a baby and I was like, I'm going to have to go tell my wife at the time, like, hey, we don't have enough money to pay rent. Like we're going to have to move in with your parents, like in the basement, you know, that's kind of where I was at. And I, I remember I felt like, you know, maybe, maybe selling just wasn't for me, you know? So anybody on here listening, you've got a business or you're a coach or a sales professional, you might've been in that situation before. And I remember um, what happened that night, the sales manager picked me up and he popped in a Tony Robbins CD. If anybody knows who Tony Robbins is, right? Like back in those days, like in 2001, you listen to CDs. And he said something that really changed everything for him. I might be butchering it, but he, he said something like, most people fail for the simple reason that they don't learn the right skills that are necessary to succeed. The right skills. Now, he actually goes on to say that everybody's taught skills. Like when you have a job or a business, you're all taught skills. But he's like, the people who fail were the ones who were not taught the right ones. So it's like something clicked in my mind. I don't know what it was. I, I Sometimes I think it was like inspired or something like an angel was hitting me on the head. But I, I started to think like, you know, maybe what the company was training me and maybe what I was learning from what I call now the old sales gurus, maybe they just weren't the right skills. Like maybe they were just outdated. Maybe they just didn't work uh, very well at that point. And so I remember kind of at that point, uh, I had this like big dilemma because the company's like, you got to sell this way. And they would have me read these books by the gurus and they would say, this is the way to sell. But at the same time, I was in college or university. Do you guys call it university or college? I can't remember. Okay, so university. Yeah, both. I remember at the same time, my, my, my major was behavioral science and human psychology. Wow, okay, that might be important. And I remember my professors and what I was learning from the experts, behavioral scientists, like persuasion was over here. The gurus were teaching me it was over here. So I was like, how do I combine like human behavior and like how not to trigger fight or flight mode and bring that into the sales process? So I started to take what I was learning from behavioral science, right? And I, that human psychology and how to get prospects to pull me in rather than pushing them and selling became very, very easy and very, very profitable. And really the, the rest is history. That's nice. my overview. I love it. And I'm going to ask you what I think is the obvious question based on results, but how do you tell what the difference is between the right skills and the skills that the gurus or better yet, you know, head office has given you and said, this is the way you do it. Well, if, you, if you're using techniques that work against human behavior, you're going you're gonna to notice that people uh, have sales resistance very quickly. That's, that's one way to notice. Like one thing, I think one thing that a lot of people don't understand, because most, you know, I could read any book back here and none of these books are going to tell me this, but this is what you learn in behavioral science, okay? That there's three parts of our brain, right? You get the mid-level brain, the neotortex, and you've got the crocodile version. Now, we're not going to go into all that because it's like really boring stuff. But the, the basis of that is any type of interaction that you're in. Okay, any type of sales interaction, if you make a phone call, if you're on Zoom with an inbound lead, or you a cold call, or you're door to door, or you're in a boardroom meeting with the board trying to sell them, your prospect 
within the first seven to 12 seconds is picking up on social cues from you. Okay. They psychologically, like subconsciously, you can't help it. That's just the way our brain works. So we're picking up on verbal and nonverbal cues from your tonality and what you are saying and or asking that triggers their brain to react in one of two ways. Now, this is really important. If you come across aggressive, if you come across needy, like you're nervous, like anxiety, and especially attached, that's the keyword. If you come across attached and you don't know the right questions to ask to get the prospect to open up, it actually triggers a brain to go, like I said, into what we call fight or flight mode, where they try to get rid of you really quickly. That's to answer your question. So if you're getting like, hey, you know what? I don't have time to talk. Um, can you call me back? I'm just too busy now. You know, we don't need it. We're good. We already have that. Uh, you know, we don't have the money for that. I'm good. Can you call me back? You know, a week, month, a year later, you know that what you're doing is triggering that. Okay, it's just a reaction because you're triggering that reaction to happen. Now, if you learn how to come across more neutral, okay, I, I always call that unbiased. You're not quite sure if you can even help yet because you don't know anything about what's going on, right? You don't say that, but you come across that way. You come across more calm, collective, and especially, Michelle, detached. That's the key word. And you know the questions to ask that opens them up, that triggers their brain to become curious enough that they feel like they want to engage. They want to open up to you because you might have something that's very important to them. So we have to learn as a sales professional or an entrepreneur, whatever you are, we have to come across detached from the expectations of making the sale and instead focus on whether there's a sale to be even made, like focus on whether or not do they have problems that we can actually solve. Now, when I say that sometimes at events, people are like, what, like, uh, am I not supposed to ask for that? No, every time you're on a call and interaction, you're moving that sale forward. I don't mean they shouldn't make a sale, but you have to keep that to yourself because the moment the prospect is feel, feels like you're selling to them or they're trying, you're trying to sell them is the moment they emotionally shut down. Are you with me? Totally. So if your prospect feels like they're being stalked in that moment, <laughs> so that's usually a bad sign. If yeah, they look like an animal retracting. Yeah, you're triggering that reaction. It's just like if you, you know, you need a pair of jeans, right? You're like, oh my gosh, my jeans have just ripped. I have, I'm, I've got a great date. I've got to go to the jeans. I've got to buy a pair of jeans. And you walk in and you're like ready to buy a pair of jeans. And the salesperson says, hey, how can I help you? You say, just looking. See, that is a triggered response because they're used to the salesperson asking that same question a billion times. So that's triggered. That's a triggered fight or flight response, just as an example. Love that. So would you like to talk about triggered responses first, or do you want to talk about somebody that has an attachment to the sale? They know they have an attachment. They're like, oh, if I don't make this, I don't hit quota, I don't pay rent, I don't whatever. How do they get rid of that detachment? So Either one you want to go to first. Well, yeah, I mean, first of all, you okay, this this might help, Michelle, if I kind of break down, there's this might help a little bit better to answer that kind of an I could probably answer both questions by by what I'm about to show you. So in, in behavioral science, like in human psychology, there are actually three forms of communication. Okay. And you, you know, with behavioral science, you're studying how does a human being make decisions? How and why is somebody persuaded? and or not persuaded to do something, okay? This is, if we're gonna, like I said, if we're gonna own a business, if we're gonna be a coach, 
if we're going to be a mom who wants to get her kids to go to sleep, if we're going to be an attorney who's trying to convince a judge that our client's innocent, if we want to be an employer who's trying to get our, our, our team to catch the vision of where we want to take our company. I mean, we're all in sales now. I mean, you're always selling something regardless if you're getting paid a commission or not, right? I call that non-sale selling. So we have to understand there's different levels of that. And once you understand where you're at right now and you're like, ability, like your sales ability compared to where you could be, it will completely change everything for you. So it doesn't matter what you're doing. So the first mode of communication, we call that uh, era one type of sales. That's more like boiler room selling, right? Like, you know, uh, uh, we're going to push them. It's like, you know, Wolf on Wall Street type of show. I mean, it's an entertaining show, but that's what it was, right? So we're the least persuasive when we tell people things, or we attempt to dominate them or posture them or manipulate them, push them into doing something we want them to do. Have you ever seen like Wolf on Wall Street, like I was talking about? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, hey, I've got a great opportunity for you. And then we talk about the features and benefits and we push them and we tell them why they need to buy now and why they need to go with you. And it's just like if you if you told your spouse, hey, you really need to do something for me. And then you push them to do it. What do they typically do back? They respond really not good. <laughs> <laughs> that's just human and sometimes right. I don't understand maybe why salespeople don't see that they're doing the same thing, right? So I'll give you a few examples of the least persuasive way to sell. Presenting, presenting is actually one of the least persuasive ways to sell. We've all been taught you've got to have a great presentation, show them how great your services, your products are. We've got the best this, we've got the best that, which by the way, doesn't every single salesperson that's ever sold you something say they have the best product or service, right? Like how many salespeople do you know that say their product or service? Like, yeah, you know, it's, it's a fifth best in the market. Nobody, <laughs> right? So your prospects, when you say things like that, they actually trust you far less. Or if you talk down about your competition because they're used to every salesperson saying that, okay? So according to the data, it's not very persuasive if your presentation is more than about 10 to maybe 15% of that entire sales conversation or process. Can't be more than that. Most salespeople, it's like half the time they're talking about it. Telling your story. Hate to tell you this. Nobody cares about your story when you're selling one-to-one. -one. Whose story do they care about? Their story, right? I mean, you know these answers, right? Giving a sales pitch. We've all been taught, you got to give a great pitch. I hate that word, right? But according to the science, not very persuasive. Like if you, you ever watch like Shark Tank on like CNBC, you know, they have the sharks up there. Like uh, what, what is the guy? Mr. Wonderful. They have Barbara, Damon, John, Mark Cuban. And then the entrepreneurs come in there and they're all excited about their products. And they say they have the best and they start pitching. Watch the facial expressions and the body language of the sharks. They're like, you know, it's like turning them off. Right. So we have to think. And the big one is assuming the sale. According to the data, very low in the persuasion bowl. Hence, that's where the term sales is a numbers game comes from. Because if you have people training you saying, oh, selling is just a numbers game, that's just because what they're training you doesn't work that well. And that's why it's a numbers game. You have to, we have to start thinking differently. Now, that's a first form. Second form of communication, uh, we call that era two type of sales. That's more known as consultative selling. Okay, came out in the late 80s with a book called Spin Selling by Professor Neil Rackham, where he taught that you needed to ask logical-based questions to find out the needs of the client. Okay, that was revolutionary in that time because nobody was like, well, we have to ask questions? What's going on, right? Like more than just one question. But what's the potential downfall of that approach when you only ask logical-based questions? We call those surface-level questions. 
where your prospect is just going to stay surface level with you, right? They're going to give you logical based answers in return. And do people buy on logic or emotion? Brain emotion. 100% emotion, right? So let me give you a few examples of consultative selling questions. And you never want to use these. When I when I when companies have us come in and audit their salespeople and we hear this, we're like, oh, it's like the kiss of death. How about this one? Oh, so John, uh, tell me what's keeping you awake at night? Oh, that question has been around for like 50 years. Like, do not ask that. It's horrible. Can you tell me two problems you're having the most? Who besides you would be involved in this decision, John? Or what are you looking for in a solution, Sally? Or what sort of budget do you have set aside for this in the first two minutes? See, these are just surface level questions that never trigger the prospect to really engage and open up, right? Now, that's the second form of persuasion, right? You're starting to play the numbers game because very little emotion is brought out by asking surface level questions. Now, third mode of communication is known as dialogue. Okay, so everybody write that down. If you're driving, you know, just gonna have to keep it in your mind. Don't, don't run over somebody over there. So the third mode is dialogue. Okay, we're the most persuasive when we allow others to persuade themselves. When we're asking what we call neuroemotional persuasion questions, that stands for NEPQ, if you ever hear me say that. Okay, now this is the key. This is where we have to learn certain questions and techniques and the delivery of that, that actually will get the human, the human being to open up and actually want to open up to us and actually tell us the truth of what's really going on. Okay, now that's the question. How do we get somebody to persuade themselves? That's the $10 million question, right? Can we just show up and say, hey, Michelle, you know, here's the wiring details, just persuade yourself and, you know, send the money. No. You read this book. Right, yeah, right. Specific <laughs> skilled questions and when and how to ask them in a step-by-step -step structure that will get the prospect to sell themselves rather than you trying to do it. And it's crazy because when we, you know, before COVID, I guess, when we were doing more live events and even on, you know, virtual events that we, we do, it seems like some of the live events are coming back now. When we ask that question, we'll ask the audience, like, are you a one, two or three era salesperson? How were you taught? Okay, it's crazy. 73% when we typically poll are still using the air one, some form of boiler room sound, pushing, pitching, assuming the sale, doesn't really matter the industry. Second air consultative selling, it's about 25, 26%. Third air like dialogue, the most persuasive way to sell, less than 1%. So that's the challenge, okay? If you're still using air one and air two techniques that work against human behavior, that trigger sales resistance, but today's information aged buyer is in more of the era way of thinking. Like today's consumer does not want to be talked at and sold to. They want to be asked, heard, and more importantly, understood. Can you see the friction of why you're not selling the amount you want to? And this is even for companies like, you know, we train Fortune 500 companies that are doing billions a year. And when we go in and audit their process, it's really bad. They just play the numbers game and we just implement some of this. Numbers start going up. Okay. It doesn't matter where you're at, whether you're starting out not doing anything, or you're like fortune 100. There's always techniques that you can learn that just don't increase the numbers there. Anyways, I'm just rolling off now. You're doing awesome. So what are some of the questions that people could ask to engage in a conversation without <laughs> repulsing or turning off their prospect? Yeah. So, you know, I mean, it just depends on the different industries, but you know, we, we have a formula that's, you know, NEPQ. So we want to start off ask by asking what are called connecting questions. Okay. So we want to take the focus off you, the salesperson and put it on them. Okay. So I might ask, let's say if they, I'm just going to give you some random examples. Let's say yeah. that 
It's an inbound lead. They responded to some ad on YouTube or Facebook or something. Okay. And let's say that I'm selling, oh, I don't know. Let's say I'm, I'm just working on a lead generation script for a company that sells leads to, to companies, right? So they sell leads to get better leads to salespeople. Okay. So with that, I might get on the call. Okay. So, and let's say they're on zoom like this, instead of saying, Hey, Michelle, how are you doing today? Because every salesperson says that. And instantly when somebody asks you that, what goes on in your mind? Like, Oh, it's cold call. <laughs> it's kind of like, Oh, salesperson. Oh. Like, you know, they're not really genuinely interested in how your day is. Right. So that type of stuff just triggers resistance. All right. So I get, you might get on there like, okay, so Michelle looks like you had booked on the calendar about, uh, possibly getting some outside help in getting more of a higher uh, quality lead, right? Yes. Okay, good. So I'm, I'm implementing why they booked for the end result. Right? They're like, yeah, yeah, sure did. Okay, yeah, the first, I would say the first part of this call is really more for us to find out, I would say more about kind of what you guys are doing now as far as lead gen. And then I would say, I would say really what you're looking for, just to see if we could if we could actually help, because there's some companies where there's just not much we could do for them. You know what I mean by that? Yeah. Now, when I teach people to do that, they're like, oh my gosh, you're you're telling them that you might not be able to help them. I'm like, yeah, because that actually opens them up because it's reality. Okay. If I get on there and say, I'm so excited that you're on here because I know we've got a solution for you and I cannot wait to show you what we've got for you in place. What's going to go on in the prospect's mind? Unless they're just a way down sale. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, that's 10%. The other 90% of like, but if I say, you know, because there's some companies where there's just not much we can do for them. You know what I mean by that? And they're like, yeah. See, that starts to open up the prospect. You look more of a credible person, right? You look as you look, even in that first 30 seconds to 45 seconds, it makes you look more like an expert in what you're doing, where you're admitting that you might not be able to help them. You don't know yet. You don't know enough about their situation of what's working and what's not working, uh, but you might not even need us, you know? And when you do those type of things, people start to look at you with more trust. So that would be like an example of like connecting questions, just a few there. Nice. I love that. And when you're having a conversation with people, is it that in the back of your head, you have kind of the end game in mind, or are you actually like 100% honed in on what's going on for them and solving their problem? It's both. Yeah. I mean, you, here's what we have to understand. We see so many salespeople that sell like they're, a, we call them a product pusher. You don't want to be a product pusher. You want to learn how to become what we call a problem finder and problem solver. Now, what does it mean to become a problem finder? Like any book back here will say, you gotta be a problem solver. That's been around for you know a, a million years. But the, the, the problem is, is if, if they don't buy from you, you can't really solve the problems, right? So you, in our time, had to be much better at problem finding. And that means asking the right questions at the right time in that conversation that allow the prospect to see what their real problems are. You know, I get so many salespeople that have been indoctrinated in, in consultative selling, which I believe it's it's far better than like boiler room selling, but they get doctrinated like, oh, you know, I, I just have to sell to what they need. Like our prospects know what they need. I'm like, no, your prospects don't know what they need. They might have an idea of what they need, but they don't really know to the full extent of what they need. That would be like me saying, I wake up in the morning, I have a split, like I have a splitting headache. I'm like, oh my gosh, I, I, I have such a bad headache. Uh, I've got a hundred dollars. I don't have insurance. I'm going to go to the doctor because I need some, I need some medication for my headache. I know what I need, 
I go to the doctor and the doctor asks me some questions and he finds out the symptoms and how long it's been going on and he feels around on my neck and stuff like that. And then he suggests that it might be more than a headache that we might need to do a, you know, what brain scan or CAT scan or whatever it's called. They do the CAT scan and oh, lo and behold, they find a freaking tumor in my brain. And oh, by the way, it's a terminal tumor and you've only got six weeks to live. You don't have insurance. It's got to cost $100,000. Well, the hell to your budget of hundred dollars. You're going to go out and find that money because you might die. Okay. You thought you needed this when you first started talking to the salesperson, but by their questioning, it allowed you to see that your problem was far worse than what you originally thought it was. So you can never sell to needs because people don't know what they need in the beginning. They might have an idea. You have to set up what the real problems are. So you have to ask the right questions that allow them to see that maybe not only do they have one problem, but maybe they have two or three or four other problems they didn't realize they had. And maybe they didn't understand how bad the problem was. Maybe they knew they had a problem, Michelle, but maybe they don't understand how bad the problem is. Or maybe they uh, don't understand the consequences of what will happen if they don't solve the problem. And when you're able to pull out that type of response and, and, and get that prospect in that emotional state, how do they start to view you? They view you so differently than all these other salespeople that they just kind of push to the side because they feel like they're just selling them something. They literally will start viewing you as like the trusted authority, the expert that's going to get them where they want to be. So in our day and age, we have to be much better at problem finding even than problem solving because if they don't buy, you can't really solve their problems. Absolutely. So playing with the hyper hyperbole of your example, how do you take somebody from a technical answer to, oh, okay, they were, I came in and our cat's gone and, and there's this big black hole here. You, we want to deal with this. It's going to cost you a hundred grand to work with that. Somebody blacks out and they're like, oh, okay. I don't have a hundred grand. I'm not doing anything. How does that physician then transition that into an emotional decision from a, like, well, you what? Already <laughs> They would have already done that before they took the CAT scan. That would that would have made them want to get the CAT scan, if that makes sense. You, you don't like, you wouldn't take a, a process through like a person through like a logical process and then try to get them very emotional at the end. It wouldn't make any sense. So well, I gave you a few examples of like a couple connecting questions, just like a, a industry specific example. Then you want to ask what are called situation questions. Okay, and situation questions, well, they find out what their present situation actually is. But not only do you find out what it is, but more importantly, they start to see what it is. Now, those are more factual-based questions. Then we want to move into what we call problem, sorry, this microphone keeps going down. We want to move into what are called problem awareness questions, okay? Like, and your, problem, like your microphone falling down? <laughs> okay, I know, right? So problem <laughs> awareness questions are there to not only help you find out what their real problems are, but more importantly, them. And not just what their problems are, okay, but what caused the problems. See, this is how he's differentiated. Most salespeople, like an average salesperson, most of the time can find out what the problems are of the prospect if they're halfway decent, just an average salesperson. Really, really good salespeople can help them find out what their problems are, but also help them see what the root cause of the problem is, like how the problem's happening. The very greatest of all salespeople and company are able to do both of those, but then also help the prospect feel what the problem is doing to them personally. And that's where the sale is made, okay, if that makes sense. Then after that, after we help them see what the problems are and they're feeling that emotion, that pain, they're reliving the pain of the problem, what it's doing to them, we want to ask what are called solution awareness questions. That gets them to start looking at what their future is going to look like once the problems are actually solved. 
Okay, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Then we want to rip that away from them. Once they feel the future and they see what the future is going to look like, we want to rip that away from them. And we want to ask what's called a consequence question. Okay, consequence questions get them to see what the ramifications of consequences are if they don't do anything. Okay, so I might ask, like, you know, going back to that lead example, because I was just working on that script, I might say, okay, but what, what happens if your company doesn't do anything about this, though? And you guys keep getting these lower quality leads to your sales teams. And like you mentioned, your sales keep stagnating the next three, six, even 12 months from now. See how I asked that skeptically? Now, I wouldn't ask that in the first one minute because there's no trust there. That's more towards the end of the conversation. Or, okay, but what are some possible ramifications if your company doesn't do anything about this, though? See, that starts to see doubt in their mind. That's where they start to defend themselves on why they need to do something about it now and change, okay? Then depending on if it's a one call close or a two call close, or you know, maybe I need to, if I'm in more of a B2B you know, selling complex environment, I might need to schedule a demo or a proposal. Uh, we wanna ask what are called commitment questions that really commit them to take that next step. Now, if it's more of a, like I said, B2B complex selling environment, it's a next step to book a demo, next step to book a proposal, next step to meet with the board. We're continuing making that next step there that leads to the sale. If it's a one call close, we're committing them to purchase what we're offering now. You with me? I'm totally with you. I am picking up what you're putting down. So love it all. Has the um, landscape of COVID changed anything in the whole sales realm or are people still people? Well, I, I think it I think it has in a couple of different ways. I mean, people are people, but I, when I always hear that people are like, I hear sisters like, oh, people have never changed. They've been the same for thousands of years. Like, people, uh, Other than the little Amazon thing in the middle of it. People yeah. are the same, but the way they <laughs> buy changes, like, con, like consumer behavior changes all the time. You can't just say a human being is the same as they were 100 years ago. Like the people think the same way, buy the same ways they did like, you know, in 1921. Of course not, right? Of course they don't, okay? I, it's crazy. Like people might've been more willing to listen to a salesperson cold call them, you know, when the phone first came out the first five years compared to they are now. <laughs> They're just excited to use the phone. It's like, hey. <laughs> like, wow, it's somebody on the line. But I mean, I'm assuming by the 70s or 80s, after 30 or 40 years of cold calling, people started to get sick of it, right? That's why it became harder. So people change all the time. But I will give you a couple of different examples. Uh, you know, I think it's changed logistically, which I think is really, really good. And it's about time. But, you know, one, we, one of our clients, one of our largest clients, it's called 401 auto they're they're actually the largest like used car dealership in all of canada they're actually canadian they're based out of ontario there but they got dealerships all over the place i remember they brought us on like a couple months before covid now as you know i don't know how bad it was in alberta but where they're at in ontario when the lockdowns happened like they had to lock the door of the dealership like here in america you could still you know pretty much go into a dealership but in canada i think you guys were like like you can't go in you're gonna get arrested or whatever it's going on and so they were freaking out because they're like, well, what do we do? Like, we can't sell cars if nobody can come into our retail practice. So we're like, but that's okay. We're going to rework everything. We're going to start getting leads into the company because people still have to have cars. And we're going to teach how your salespeople how to call from their homes. Huge success. They started calling leads from home. When they made the sale, okay, just, you know, through the internet with some pictures, they would, the salesperson would then drive to the dealership, meet them outside the dealership with the keys, with the paperwork itself. Their sales doubled during the lockdowns. Okay, now they're going way back up because people are coming in and they're still doing the same thing. So now that opened it up where they're like, 
we don't just have to wait for people to come in. We can actually get leads and we can do both and our numbers are sent. So that's a logistical change. You know what I mean? Yep. Uh, another logistical change, we, chain, we train a lot of insurance companies too. Um, and a lot of insurance companies before the lockdowns, most of them would get these mailers, right? And they would call and book an appointment. Then they would drive out to the house, meet with the, the couple, try to, you know, shake hands, but, you know, you know, have some coffee and, and sign them up. Okay. That's how salespeople thought they had to sell. Well, you couldn't do that during the lockdowns. You couldn't just drive over to Nancy's home. So we taught the companies we were training, like how to set Zoom appointments with these people. We're like, this, this is long overdue because think about just the time it takes your salesperson to drive 30 miles this way. They're not there. So then they have to drive 20 miles this way. Then they have to, you know, an hour and a half later, they drive 10 miles this way. And oh, by the way, that day they got to see three or four appointments with Zoom we can make sure your salespeople see 10, 12, 14 people a day. Numbers. So just little logistical things like that made a lot of companies realize like, man, to do a demo, I don't need to fly to Dubai. I can actually do the demo from my office on Zoom. You know, just little things like that, I think are the biggest changes. Nice. I love it. And I think that the buyers have changed dramatically in that they used to be the ones saying, hey, I really want to see you face to face. I want to shake your hand. I want to, you know, know I like and trust you. And now it's like, yeah, you just stay there. And <laughs> yeah. like, yes, that's For awesome. sure. it's saving companies a lot of money, a lot of, right? it saves a lot of selling time because if you're flying all the time, if you're going here, you're going there. Now, here and there, maybe it's appropriate for sure. Okay. But do we need to fly over to, you know, London just to do a demo? We might be able to do the demo and maybe we finish everything off by having one more appointment and fly, but at least it saves us time, logistical time. Nice. I love it. And I love that what used to be mom and pop shops can now be international because they're not limited to the local space, which is super fun. This has been freaking awesome. I love this. And I want to appreciate it and acknowledge your time. I'd love to know who do you absolutely love to deal with? Because in my opinion, anybody that's alive is selling something. If they've gone past mom and dad pay for everything. Well, even then they're selling to mom and dad, but <laughs> you can move on beyond that. You want to have a little more finesse, but who do you love to work with? You know, we, you know, we, we train hundreds of different industries at this point, some industries that I didn't know existed. You know, we just enrolled a big seatbelt manufacturer out of Berlin the other day that sells seatbelts to like Range Rover and BMW and Jaguar. I'm like, what? Oh, I, I, okay, I guess, yeah, seatbelts have to be sold. So they're just sometimes, I see with us, if you have a product, if you have a service, it doesn't really matter to us. You know, we're starting to do uh, political consulting now to help politicians like communicate their message so much better because most of them are Horrible. horrible just turn the other side completely off by what they say and i'm like you are okay you're riling up your base but you just lost the other 50 percent of the population by what you just said like it doesn't make any sense so it doesn't matter to us you know you're an attorney who wants to you know convince your your jury that your client's innocent train people like that we train uh car sales people insurance sales people realtors you know network marketers cyber people with companies that sell cyber secure i mean it's anything that's sold we're pretty much training at this point hey and before i forget because i always forget on the podcast if any of your people listening want uh to learn more of those questions that we we're because i just kind of gave you guys like a glib a, a little bit of that and i always forget um they can just uh go to this website it's a free facebook group we have that everybody can join for free we've got about thirteen thousand people in there uh, of salespeople and business owners. And we give a lot of free resources out there for free just for joining. So if they go to, I think I gave you the website, it's www.salesrevolution.group. So salesrevolution.group. I think you have the, you can put in the show notes if you want. 
um, they can join that for free right when they join. There's like a two uh, and a two question survey. So we know what industry they're in, kind of what they sell it just helps us track the data of industries we have in there. And right when they join, somebody on my team will tag them or will message them. So they need to check their DMs on Facebook and they will message them a free training called the NEPQ 101 mini course. And it's just a series of those questions and like different sales situations. And they can have that for free if that helps your people. Wonderful. I was going to get to that after you told us who your faves were, is if people wanted to start their journey, or I know that people are going to want to start their journey with you, and how do they do that? So peeps, go to the Facebook group. As mentioned, those are in the show notes. If you are driving right now, later go to awarenessstrategies.com slash blog, and we will have all of Jeremy's information there. Just simply type in any PQ or Jeremy or sales, and you'll be able to find yeah, and we go live in that group about three or four times a, a week with different Q and A's, different trainings. We interview clients and break down their sales process. So yeah, if they want to know more details and learn those questions, they're always there for them. Beautiful. So if you don't mind, give us an example of one of your Cinderella stories. Cinderella stories. Uh, one recently yeah. or, or like from a client or from us as a company? Um, let's go with client and anytime. So one of your favorite, like, hey, we were sucking wind to, trying to do the boiler room thing didn't work <laughs> or yeah, whatever. I mean, whatever. I mean, we have uh, the cool thing is like we, we started about three years ago. We're mm-hmm. a fast uh, growing sales training company, but um, we have uh, we have almost 5000 testimonials the first three years, which is pretty cool. But I mean, we have so many salespeople that come in and they're like, you know, They'll come in like, man, I've taken every sales course I could ever take. And I still could only make four or five grand a month. Like I was about to give up on sales. I wanted to become a manager or get into operations. I went through your content and now I'm making 15 grand a month or I'm making 20 grand a month. Or we've had people that have taken our course, our courses that were making four, five, six grand a month that now make 20, 30, even 40,000 a month plus in commission. So when you make that type of money, when you when you like go from four grand and you're making 25 or 30, it's completely life-changing for you and your family. And that's what I always say to salespeople, like, look, you're going to work 40 hours a week. So why not learn the skills where you can make four times as much money? Like, do you want to just work for free? Like, what are you talking about? Like, you're going to put in the work. You're going to talk to the prospects. Why not learn skills that work with human behavior, that get the prospect to pull you in? And instead of converting at this level, now you're converting up here, you make a lot more money, but more importantly than you just making money, because that's not what it's about. You are helping your prospect solve their problems and get them where they want to be. If you don't learn the right skills, they are not buying because you're not, you don't have the right skills. That's why they're not buying from you. And you're affecting them and their families because their problems are staying the same. They're staying in the status quo and nothing ever changes for them. So when we're selling something, we are literally changing people's situations to get them where they want to go. And if we don't learn the skills to do that, that's on us as sales professionals and companies, not the prospect. So we have to think about selling a lot differently than most people do. Nice. So when somebody starts learning these things, and I totally get it, everybody's different, but how quickly could somebody just take something you say, use it and pivot their results? The same day. I'm saying that with very clarity, like people join that Facebook group, you're going to see probably about 10 to 15 new testimonies that come in every day from people that just post. Okay. And they're like, I just started the training last week and I've already made, you know, I already doubled my income from the week before just by learning a few things, like a few questions here and there that they just implemented. Now, once you learn the entire process, 
complete radical change. You're not going to learn the entire process in a day, but can you take one or two questions that we teach you in the, our virtual training courses and coaching and apply that to what you're selling tomorrow and make more sales? hundred percent. Yes. Nice. I love that. That was awesome. So again, thank you for your time, but I got to ask you this before I let you go. At what point in time did you know that you were a special kind of crazy enough to think that you could become a, an entrepreneur? <laughs> That's a, that's an interesting question. So we started three years ago and our growth got really, really massive only about 18 months ago. Okay. Nice. So we got, uh, so Inc. Magazine ranked us in the top 5,000 fastest growing companies in the United States last year. We we're ranked number 1,232 or whatever it says back there, but we were ranked number one fastest sales training company in the United States. The first year it was a struggle. We had people buying stuff, but it was like me as the CEO, I had an assistant and one salesperson, and I was trying to figure out how to be an entrepreneur. I went from being a sales professional who made a ton of money in sales to running a business. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. So about 20, 19, 20 months ago, after the first year of like, you know, making some money, but just throwing it all away, you know, because I didn't know what to do with it. Um, we brought on a CEO. His name's Matt Ryder. And our CEO just like exploded our growth rates. So I just focus on the training fulfillment with our sales trainers. And we have people that actually run the company, run the business. And when you have both of those talents mixed together, you can really help a lot of people solve the problems. Love that awesome story. So again, any well, last words? The first words? year was a big trial and error. For me, <laughs> yes. The last couple of years have been pretty, pretty good. So. so if you find yourself in the trial and error phase, keep going, find yourself some support that you need, whether sure. it's Jeremy in sales and learning how to do the sales, hugely important. And once you've got that, system down pat, you can start replicating. Michelle, like it all begins with sales. Like if your company doesn't have sales, you can't do anything. Like you have to have revenue. Now you obviously have to learn how to, you know, have great operations and great fulfillment and you have to have great accounting and, and those type of things and vision, but it all starts with sales. If you don't have sales, you have zero. You can't do anything else. Yep. So true. Awesome. So thank you again for your time. I appreciate how valuable it is. And any last words for our peeps? No, just, uh, you know, hang in there. You know, I, um, you know, I, I started kind of telling you my, my story that, you know, that first couple of months when I struggled, I was almost quitting. Uh, within four years of that, I was making over a million dollars a year in straight commissions at my job as a salesperson within four years. The first, the first couple months, I almost quit because I just didn't have the right skills. So if you just stay with it and you develop the right skills, it really becomes easy and profitable. It's the same thing with anything. Like if you're a nurse, you have to develop the right skills. If you're a doctor, you have to learn the right skills. If you're a sales professional, you just learn the right skills. It's, I mean, literally you acquire those skills. It's a myth to say that, oh, people are born uh, with sales skills. Like you're not born with advanced questioning techniques. You're not born with advanced tonality. That'd be like saying people are just born out of the womb with the right technique for golf. Like you, you have to learn the techniques. That's all it is. Awesome. I love it. Thank you so much, peeps. Go to salesrevolution.group. You'll go to the Facebook page, sign up, get all of the resources there because seriously, I, you've, you've told them why. We'll, let, we'll leave it at that. You've been awesome. Thank you again for your time. I appreciate it immensely. Peeps, this is Michelle Nedelec. Thank you for being here with us today. Be sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app because we love having you here. And more importantly, we want to help you scale your business. Thank you for listening to our show. I'm all about being a resource center for entrepreneurs to give them the information and the support that they need to make it in business. As such, the notes for this show can be found at our website at awarenessstrategies.com 
slash blog. Be sure to subscribe, give us a rating, I like five stars personally, and share with your friends.